Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. Listeners know that we explore many realms of the human journey, and some of our podcasts, including some of my favorites, delve into wisdom traditions, sometimes ancient writings or teachings that arise from a variety of backgrounds, sources that help us to focus on truths that really matter. And a lot of this boils down to connecting to something bigger than ourselves, to see that we're all part of some mysterious river of meaning, that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. When I can get calm and touch that inner place of quietude, it points me homeward. Thank you. Coming up on a Humankind special, the average lifespan of Americans has increased by nearly 30 years over the past century, but about half of today's older adults are financially unprepared for those extra years. Elder care often comes with many complications. 70% of us are going to need long-term care at some point uh, as we age. It's extremely challenging. In some cases, direct care workers are hired to come into the home but their skilled labor is frequently undervalued. Most often, though, the responsibility falls on family members who sometimes are juggling their own jobs with the time needed to look after an older relative. And they face a raft of conflicting emotions. I'm David Freudberg. Stay with us for Humankind. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project, Aging in Community, is supported by the RRF Foundation for Aging, the John A. Hartford Foundation, the Boston Foundation, and the Humankind Program Fund. The strains on families who are looking after older loved ones. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Caregivers are dealing with the emotional loss of what is happening for their loved one, feelings of guilt that they're not doing enough, a lack of training and support so they don't even know if they're doing it right, Often that financial squeeze of how do I, you know, feel at risk of potentially losing my job because I need to be here for my loved one. More than one in five American adults is an unpaid caregiver for an elder, often a parent or grandparent or spouse. And according to AARP, the baby boomers who had been performing this function are now reaching the age where in many cases they need care themselves. Millions of families are feeling the pressure. Ruth, age 97, lives in her own home in a leafy Boston suburb. She's grateful for the continuous help provided by her daughter, Mary Corbett. She takes care of my finances. She does an awful lot, uh, you know, between my eyes, my teeth, the appointments, shopping, uh, grocery. What's that? Oh, yeah, the pills. She checks, makes sure, uh, you know, I'm taking them and whatever. And I fill them. She fills them yeah. for me. I take five a day. 
What kinds of medication are you on? Do you know? Uh, pain. <laughs> no. uh, high blood pressure. Yeah, high blood pressure and... Uh, Breathing, an allergy pill. Allergy, I guess. Yeah. As long as this hasn't gone yet. And you're pointing to your head. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> if that goes, I'm done for. <laughs> Walking is better for Ruth than staying sedentary, she told me. Her eyesight and hearing are not as keen as in the past, yet Ruth is often seen in the neighborhood with her cane navigating the sometimes uneven sidewalks as she ambles to her daughter's house three blocks away. There she enters a world teeming with children, grandchildren, dogs, and a veritable locker room full of sports equipment. Mary is the youngest of Ruth's four adult children. I think most importantly to keep her going is she's always included in our family. Wherever we go, whether it be on vacation, um, out to dinner, um, hockey games, baseball games, she's always included. So she's been kept very busy, which keeps her going, along with um, emotional support. Um, Can you explain that? The, you know, she doesn't want to go to the doctors. I trick her into going to the doctors. I trick her into, she, she stays clear of doctors. She thinks that they'll find something if she goes. But I have to agree that they will find something if you go. Um, yeah, I mean, she's a great companion to me, too, because I'm always with kids, and not a lot of people my age are always with kids. So, um, you know, she, we have a lot of laughs, don't we? Oh, yeah. We have a great rapport, really. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'd do without her. But even though Mary lives close by, keeping tabs on her mother's well-being is an ever-present concern. That's echoed by Rhonda Guberman in the small town of Plainville, Connecticut, outside Hartford. If my mother calls me at a time that's not the usual time, like when she expects me to leave the office and be in my car, <laughs> it's usually when I talk to her on my way home, you know, if I get a call in the day, during the day, my heart just drops. I just think, what, what happened? Or if it's my father calling instead of my mother is mom okay? You know, it's that constant worry. As the oldest of four children, Rhonda says she has designated herself as a person to take care of her parents. They live nearby in Berlin, Connecticut. Rhonda also has a professional interest in older adults. This is the billiard table at the Plainville Senior Center where Rhonda is assistant director. They run a support group here for local family caregivers, like Steve Brennan. I have been going to all of my mother's doctor's appointments. I schedule them all. I take her to them all. Um, my, my calendar is just a, a mess every day with her OT, PT, visiting nurses coming in. Um, and, and I'm retired. <laughs> my calendar is like, like, just crazy. As a working professional, I'm having to take personal time to take my parents to their appointments and juggle my work schedule and obligations with their appointments. And that, that's difficult for a lot of caregivers. I'm fortunate where I do have some flexibility, but a lot of caregivers don't 
And we see that here at the senior center. People who rely on our dial-a-ride because their families can't take them to the doctors. And it's, it's one thing just to provide the ride. It's the other thing to hear what's going on and, and, and be able to follow up and know. Because a lot of, for me, my parents think they understand what the doctor's saying, but it's not always accurate. And so they need somebody to hear it and to write it down and be able to follow up. That's a very real need. Absolutely. I accompanied actually um, somebody here at the senior center who um, was finding out about a cancer diagnosis and had no family to go with him. And I knew that he would not be able to comprehend and understand the information from the doctor. And so I actually went with him to his appointment and then reported back to his daughter because I knew he wouldn't get it. Many caregivers mention the substantial time commitment required when looking after older parents. There are days that I've been there 12 or 13 hours a day. I'm married. I have a wife at home. There are times that I spent the night there. Um, they're only two and a half miles away, but that's, that's a lot, um, especially when the problems that are taking that time usually are going over weeks. So it's not just one day like that every few weeks. It seems like when that happens, you're dealing with it day after day after day for weeks. And then things let up again, and maybe you're, you're just back to the few hours a day. For about three years, Steve's been caring for his mom, who has developed Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. At times, it takes a toll. One of the things I'll do, you know, when it gets tough um, while there is, I'll just walk into the other room, you know. She's asking something for the 10th time, like, like that came up. It's like, okay, yeah, you, you just can't take it anymore, right? So instead of answering, I may just walk into the other room and take two, three minutes, breathe in, breathe out, you know decompress, and then, and then you go back in. She's probably forgotten all about the question that she's asking. It's not going to ask again. With my dad, I tell him to do the same thing. I, I, it's a multiple hat is how I call it. We all wear multiple hats every day, whether it's work, whether, you know, personal lives and whatever you do, right? Um, for us, we all have that caregiver hat we put on. And I tell him, you got to wear that at times. But at other times, you got to put the husband hat back on. i got to put the son hat on. So when I, I'm walking in their house, I put the caregiver hat on. So it's, it's almost like a nurse or a doctor, and I try to keep my, check my feelings at the door. But what, what do you mean? Because um, otherwise you, just get, you can get really emotional as she says certain things that she doesn't realize she's saying um, and doesn't really mean. And then... I deal with my feelings when I get back in the car. Sometimes I even pull over in the two and a half miles to it before I get home so that I'm not walking into my own home and feeling that. So I, I just pull over those couple of spots that uh, have, a, have the parking lot. So I stop and I just decompress. And um, then I walk into, into my house.
Another attender of the support group is Bonnie Pelletier, who's retired from a long career teaching second and third graders. She looked after her parents, who eventually required nursing home care and lived till their 90s. In recent years, she's worked with people with intellectual disabilities. She brings her clients to the senior center several days a week. At home is her husband. Maybe two years ago now, um, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and he has gone down very, very rapidly. Um, I am his primary caregiver. When you say gone down rapidly, what do you mean? Declined it with his all-around skills, his fine motor skills, his ability to walk, his ab- ability to uh, create sentences to speak. Very, very, very bright person, but you would never know. Um, all this has caused all kinds of problems for him and for me, obviously. Um, and I am his primary caregiver. I do have a caregiver that comes in so that I can work, but that's quite expensive, and that's all private pay. How is that covered? It's it, not. There's no subsidy at all? No, nothing. $27 an hour is pretty typical, 27 to 30 because I did go through an agency, so that raises the cost a little bit because the caregiver gets some of that money, but the agency gets part of that too. I don't know exactly how it's broken down. Um, if you do, you know, if you go private, it's much cheaper. Initially, honestly, I was able to have a private caregiver and it was obviously much less expensive. It was only $20 an hour. However, the woman developed COVID and so that kind of fell apart. Like many family caregivers, Bonnie Pelletier tries to juggle the demands of her work helping out people with special needs while also monitoring and supporting her husband. It can be a tall order. Everything is on my plate. Everything. 24 hours a day. That's why I say my respite is to come to work. I try to allow him to do whatever he can do. He takes tons of medication, so he's very unsteady on his feet at night. So being a male, he needs to go to the bathroom quite often during the night. So I have to be very aware that he's going to get up because if I don't get up to help him and he doesn't want my help, so my help is I'm right there. So when he starts losing his balance, I just catch him. But, I mean, let's say he gets up three or four times during the night to use the bathroom. My sleep is disrupted. He, fortunately for him, he goes right back to sleep. But me as the caregiver, most times I can't. And there's another dynamic at work in these relationships. The traditional roles may have shifted, especially when an adult child is now called on to provide care for a parent in need. Rhonda Guberman. It's that balance of where they're children. And that's where that respect, you have to, you have to always remind yourself that these are your parents and you're the child. And there have been times over the recent years where my mother or father have said, we're still the parents, but they feel like I'm usurping some of that um, control. control." Right. And 
I, and they're they're saying they're not so comfortable with that use or sometimes not I don't think they are I think they you know um, well sometimes I'm not uh, <laughs> as gentle as I probably could be because more because I'm frustrated with some of the things that they they do or things that happen my mom at, at stage she's at she's in advanced stages um, she's lost most of her independence um, She's not doing anything around the house like uh, cooking or cleaning or anything like that that she normally would have taken pride to do, um, even as far as taking clothes out to change. Um, she is changing herself, but somebody's got to take the clothes out, and sometimes she needs an extra hand with the changing. Currently, there are no issues in the bathroom. She is on her own, but it's a matter of time and that. Um, that's one of our concerns is bathing, too. Um, we're working with OT to try to get her back into that routine. Um, but that's a concern because of dizziness and her falling. So, It's analogous to raising a child. Parents try to strike the balance between respect for a young person's emerging individuality while making sure they don't injure themselves along the way. I still try to let her make decisions. And I, I, even with the medical uh, stuff, it, it's like I present to her, look, um, like with her recent surgery, I knew she wouldn't want it, but the negatives of not having the surgery uh, definitely were not good, so having the surgery outweighed not getting it. Um, and, and we sat there with the doctor and explained it to her, and luckily she agreed to the surgery, so we didn't have to override her decision. Are there cases, though, where it's necessary to override a decision by your mom? Um, I can usually influence her. Um, the only one that seems to be able to do that. Um, my dad isn't able to. My sister occasionally can, but um, trying to have my mom make those decisions it comes down to me because of, of the relationship I've built with her over the last few years. Do you think that your role as a caregiver has deepened that relationship? I, I would say yes because if I hadn't been doing this um, I would have missed out on many of the good days um, over these last few years. Exploring how family members provide care to elderly loved ones. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this project, Aging in Community, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. Both for family members performing elder care and for paid care workers, the intensity of looking after vulnerable older adults carries a distinct risk of burnout. There are days when it gets that tough. It's not unlike the burdens borne by frontline professionals in hospitals. Nursing professor Mary Jo Kreitzer at the University of Minnesota directs the Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing. Sometimes people just feel like if they're taking care of their husband or their wife or a grandparent, um, that 
they just think of themselves as a family member doing that, and they don't think of themselves as being in a caregiver role. And for some people, when they step back and recognize that and have that insight, that opens the door for them to even begin seeking the help that they need. So it sort of gives them permission to reach out for support themselves? Absolutely. And one of the most important things I encourage you know people to do when they find themselves in the role of a caregiver is to accept help. And, you know, for some people, that's really hard to do, to accept help, because they're used to doing everything on their own. And so whether it's accepting help for somebody to run errands, get groceries, clean the house, provide some respite care, accepting help, you know, is really important. Which is ironic in a way, as sometimes a reluctance to accept help also characterizes the elder being cared for. I guess we can all need a helping hand, whether by reaching out to a friend or receiving counseling. There are also proven methods for reducing the strain, which can be followed on one's own, such as meditation. Even 10 to 15 minutes of meditation can make a big difference. This ancient technique can produce a soothing state known to medical researchers as the relaxation response which counters the toxic effects on the body of relentless stress. There are many ways to elicit the relaxation response, from sitting quietly in moments of calm reflection and prayer, to invoking mindfulness, which can decrease a tendency to overreact. And what we found was that caregivers who practiced mindfulness, it improved their overall mental health, it reduced their stress, and also reduced depression. There's now considerable scientific research validating the health benefits of this approach. Mindfulness really um, means being in the present moment. And that might sound like a really simple, basic thing, but actually being in the present moment is really difficult because oftentimes we're, our mind is racing and we're thinking about the future or we are focusing and dwelling on the past. And so there are practices such as even following your breath, simple breath practices that help you focus on being in the present moment. Respiration, of course, is essential to human life, and we take it for granted unless there's an emergency. But consciously paying attention to the rhythm of our breathing is a primal way to lower anxiety and restore equilibrium to mind and body. So there's different kinds of of meditations. There's walking meditations and sitting meditations. But the whole concept and practice of mindfulness, I think, can be really helpful. People will often sit, um, find themselves in a comfortable position. They might close their eyes or softly gaze. And they begin just very um, um, intently following their breath as they breathe in um, and breathe out. So taking deep, um, deep breaths. These practices are natural, available to everyone, and can be done whenever convenient. For harried caregivers, they can make life easier. Again, Dr. Mary Jo Kreitzer. One of the things that's um, very accessible to most of us is spending time in nature. And there's a lot of evidence that actually nature heals. And literally, it can be good for us in terms of our whole you know, body, mind, and spirit. There's a practice um, called forest bathing, where people literally spend time, you know, in nature, in the woods. Um, 
um, walking in nature, um, gardening, you know, just, you know, being in the outdoors can be um, incredibly healing. So again, even if it's only 10 minutes a day, but finding some time, like putting together that schedule or routine and building some time, you know, to being in nature. Another practice, I think, um, David, that can be really helpful is a gratitude practice. And um, a gratitude practice, um, the one that I um, often tell people about is called Three Good Things. And that practice, um, once a day, and it might be when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, think about three things that you're grateful for. And if you care to, even write those things down. And then I encourage people that if you do write it down, maybe once a week, go back and look at what is showing up in your life that you're grateful for. And there's a lot of research on gratitude and gratitude practices, and that when we practice gratitude, it really does elevate our mood state. It makes us feel um, more positive. So talk about a, a simple practice. And I think for caregivers who are struggling with all kinds of challenges, um, to focus on what's positive in their life and focus on what's going well and what they're grateful for um, can be incredibly helpful. Earlier, we heard from participants in the caregiver support group at the Senior Center in Plainville, Connecticut. These peer-led gatherings have become a common resource for helping caregivers to unburden their minds and hearts. You can learn more at the Elder Care Locator, which is operated by the federal government's Administration for Community Living. We give the link at humanmedia.org. Edwin Walker in Washington is Deputy Assistant Secretary for Aging. The support groups typically that we see are designed to help the caregiver understand that they're not going through this alone. It addresses the issue that most caregivers feel. and They are normally at home by themselves assisting their loved one and they feel like they are alone and that no one else understands. And it's just important for folks to have an outlet, a venue, a safe space. They can share their stories. They can learn from one another. These groups generally are free of charge. The Plainville Senior Center group is administered by social worker Stephanie Susie. Participants talk over their real-world concerns. They're afraid that something's going to happen to them. And then what happens to my parent, my spouse, if I burn out, so to say? And burnout could be anything. It could be mentally burnt out. It could be physically because the stress takes a toll on your body. Um, you get sicker easier. Um, so there's always, we talk a lot of, you got to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of them because if they don't take care of themselves and they end up in the hospital, what's your plan? What's your plan for your spouse or your parent? And does that sometimes happen? Yeah. Where people yes. kind of break down? Yep. Yep. We get people sick who just, who can't, they can't rally. You know, they might have been able to fight that off, you know, um, an infection or whatever, but they're just exhausted, you know, mentally and physically that that just has an impact and that's what we try to find ways. Or can you do a day center? Can somebody come in and sit with him so you can just go for a walk to get your, you know, those endorphins going? Another advantage of support groups is that caregivers sometimes cannot talk openly with family members regarding their emotional challenges and looking after the elder. 
Attending a support group provides a space not monitored by family. Caregiving isn't for the faint of heart. I, if you see somebody in your neighborhood or a family member or you know somebody that's taking care of somebody else, is to reach out to them. Some people aren't okay, and they really need to kind of... It, all it takes is a call, a, a text, uh, how are you doing? Reach out to the caregiver. Yeah, because they need, they need that support. They're taking care of somebody, and it's probably their greatest joy in some sense because they're taking care of someone they love. But to know that they're being thought of um, and that somebody's worrying about them, even if it's just, oh, I, hey, I was thinking of you. How you doing? You know, I'll bring lunch over. Why don't you go, you know, run out to the store or whatever? Just anything. I think people as whole, you need that. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you still need someone to take care of you, even if it's the minimal of how are you? How simple is that? Coming up, we learn about the growing and sometimes marginalized profession of home care workers now numbering in the millions, when Humankind continues in a moment. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.